0: Welcome to The Savvy Founder. The one place for entrepreneurs and business owners. Away from the everyday bustle. Where we help you
1: find your path to a profitable and bright future.
0: Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello, I'm Philip Topham and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I am so happy to have Michelle Seiler Tucker here today to talk about how to grow your business and exit rich welcome michelle how are you doing
1: thank you thanks philip thanks for having me i'm doing fantastic and you
0: it's great it's i'm here in southern sunny southern california and out of the 365 days it decided to rain today and we have a big storm where the local mountains the the roads will be closed for snow which is fantastic for skiers
1: that's in southern california
0: it's Southern California. Yes, we have a rare rainstorm,
1: but you're, but they're projecting predicting snow uh,
0: in the in the mountain pass that, that what's called the Grapevine. There's a big road that goes from Southern California to Northern Cal, and when that shuts down, all the trucks and traffic stops, and it'll probably stop sometime later this afternoon. Wow. Yeah. So, well, we're not here to talk about the weather, but we're here to help <laughs> startup founders that are. Building their next high-tech Silicon Valley business, they're looking to raise money. You and I started chatting. Uh, you reached out to us, and you have a very interesting per, uh, perspective on building your business. You've recently published a book, Exit Rich, and mm-hmm. I thought when I heard that, I thought, you know, why would a founder listening even care about exiting? They're so focused on raising money now. So. Help me understand what your philosophy is on the Exit Rich idea.
1: Sure. So the reason I wrote Exit Rich is I've been in this industry a little over 20 years, sold a tremendous amount of businesses in every vertical you can imagine, including tech. And what I've learned over the years that what Steve Forbes says is true, 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. That includes some high-tech companies. (laughs) So it should be a huge wake-up call for business owners because that means you have less than a 20% chance of success. Less than 20%. Yeah,
0: I wasn't aware of that stat. 80% uh, or less, and that's all your blood, sweat, and tears, and you're not going to end up with anything at the end of it other than your paycheck and maybe some other goodies along the way.
1: If you end up with that. Many business owners are selling for pennies on the dollar closing their business, or even worse, filing bankruptcy. And the number one reason why businesses are not selling is because business owners don't build a sellable asset that someone wants to buy. Most, many business owners create a glorified job in which they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. So even in the tech companies, they, they build you know something, but then they don't build the infrastructure of an actual okay. business buyers are not buying jobs so that's why in exit rich we really take our listeners through our readers i should say through the gps exit model how to plan your exit from the beginning like stephen covey says start with the end in mind
0: yeah absolutely and
1: and then we take them through building the solid infrastructure based upon the six p's because if you do that then you have a a sustainable business that can run without you (laughs) you have a business that you can scale and when you're ready philip you have a business that is sellable for the price tag you desire, not for pennies on a dollar. So yeah. most, most business owners are not planning their exit from the beginning. They're not building the solid infrastructure that buyers want to buy.
0: Yeah, it, I, I see that. Even in these uh, brilliant uh, either scientists that are coming out of the university labs, uh, software developer engineers, or even non-technical that are building their business, they have so many ideas, and they get into that, uh, they turn their their passion into their job. They're really good at sales. So they suddenly do lots and lots of sales and they forget about something else. Or the inventor starts inventing a product, and then they're suddenly inventing five products, and the investor's going, you're just an inventor. I want a business. So it resonates really well. And so for any of you listening out there, you might think, why do I need to worry about my exit? Well, you got to remember your business for you to get an investor an investor has to make a return on an investment. Mm -hmm. So that means they have to get the money out of the business. Well, how do they get the money out of the business when you sell the business and not when it's an IPO, because so many don't get it. So, is, is that what you see with, the, with those starry-eyed Silicon Valley founders?
1: I do, you know, and I, I do. I see that um, they're not thinking about selling the business, and they need to think about that for two reasons. Number one, you just mentioned because of the investors wanting to get a return on their investment and pull their money out. Number two, most tech startups, Silicon Valley tech startups, what are they? They're creators. They're inventors. Many of them don't want to sit there and run a business. They want to go out there and create their next masterpiece. And so they want to create, 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 create. Same thing with inventors uh, that we work with. Same thing with some e-commerce businesses that have invented, you know, products that they're now selling online. So you've really got to think about when do you want to sell? We you know, work with the STGPS exit model, which is number one, what is your destination? What is your destination? Most business owners just drive around in circles ending up nowhere <laughs> because they don't have their destination. If you want to drive somewhere in Southern California, what's the first thing you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, you plug in your destination. If you don't plug in your destination, you're going to get lost and your wife is going to scream at you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely agree. In fact, yeah. I, I don't know if we uh, we share, it doesn't come up by the uh, get out of the way, but there's a reason my my logo has the path is that's I always tell people you begin with the end in mind, just like Stephen Covey, you know, that yes. And, and add some guide rails, right? If you, you see the path in the story, it has a little bit of guide rails. Don't, don't just go to the meadow and wander around looking at every new fantastic idea and never getting one done. Pick one, set a destination. So I whole, whole, wholeheartedly agree with you that. Well, it's like again. my, one
1: of my favorite books called the one thing by Gary Keller, because entrepreneurs are like squirrel, 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 squirrel. You know? <laughs> yeah. So read the one thing, because it has you focus on one thing, get that done, then move on. And so it's so important to have that destination, because if you don't have a destination, you'll never end up anywhere. And you'll be driving up and down the financial hills to end up broke. So, figure out what do you want to sell your company for. You know, Philip, that should be step one. What is your desired price tag? Is it 20 million, 50 million, 100 million, a billion? What is it? Set that number, and everybody gets confused or lost on a number. It's just a number. You can change it along the way. And I love what you said about guardrails. I'm going to have to start incorporating. (laughs) But um, so number one is your destination. Number two is where are you starting from? What's your current location? And in other words, in business, what's your current evaluation? What is your business worth right now? You Even if you're pre-revenue, tech companies always have a worth of what they built. So you need to know what's my destination. Let's say you want to sell for $50 million. Let's say what you built is worth $5 million. Then the very next step is time frame. You know, do you want to do this in three years, five years? Determine your timeframes. Let's say you want to sell $50 million or five million. You want to do this in three years. Now you need to know who your buyer's going to be. Buyers, not buyer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've seen that. Yeah, we're going to sell out to Google. Okay, great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you better have have other baskets to put your eggs in because if Google says no, where are you going to next? So, you know, there's five types of buyers. For tech startups, it's going to be private equity group, pegs, Uh, it'd be private equity groups, it'd be strategic slash competitors or sophisticated entrepreneurs. It's not gonna be turnaround specialists and it's not gonna be startups, right? um, First-time buyers. It's not gonna be first-time buyers. So you have to figure out who's your buyer going to be. And then you got to figure out, well, what's my revenue need to be? What's my EBITDA? Now with tech companies, EBITDA is not as relevant as it is in other industries. Because in tech, you typically, in other industries, every other industry get a multiple of EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. In tech, you typically get a multiple of revenue. So it's so much better than a multiple of EBITDA. So you got to figure out what is your revenue? So if you want to sell for $50 million, what is the average multiple of revenue for for tech companies? And where does your revenue need to be to get you that $50 million price tag? Then you need to ask yourself, what is the infrastructure? What are the characteristics that these buyers are looking for? And build your business on the six Ps. You know, hugely important. It's kind of like, everybody makes it overly complicated, Philip, it's kind of like when you go into business, you go, here's my widget, here's my widget. Here's my target market for this widget. (laughs) <laughs> and so you build everything to suit your specific audience for that widget. Your business is your widget. <laughs> These three types of buyers is your target audience. You build everything to meet their specific criteria. That's how you create a bidding war. That's how you sell. For yeah, more.
0: I, I I agree with that. But there's also this phenomena a little bit with with the with the company that creates something that we didn't see coming. Right, a unicorn. The, the, yeah, well, they, the, some of them become unicorns. Um, mm-hmm. but the unicorns are the real ones, yes. Uh, like the, the Ubers, uh, we didn't see that coming. And they weren't, you know, they did go that unicorn route. Uh, but what about the, the company that um, th- there's some new technologies like the photovoltaic cells and that are going to change the way solar energy is done? They don't know yet where their widget fits, like they're creating a market. Is there is there a difference for when somebody creates a technology where it becomes a new market?
1: Well, you're talking about a market for the consumers, right? I was talking about a market for the buyers of who's going to buy your tech yeah. company. So we're talking about two different things here. Okay. Um, as far as, yes, there is a new market. I mean, look at, look at I, well, there's a new market and then you can steal from other markets of other markets exist. And know, kind of like Steve jobs. When he came back to Apple, you know, he really innovated and came up with the iPhone, the iPod, the I, this, the I that right? right. Nobody else was really doing that. I mean, we had, um, a few smartphones out there, but nothing was as invented, innovative as, as Steve jobs was. So he, Number one stole from other markets, right? right and Number two, he created markets, don't you think?
0: yeah I, absolutely. and And that's where I'm kind of trying to understand for the the Steve Jobs, it doesn't seem like he built the business to exit, right he he built the he built these fantastic technologies and became that unicorn that we all admire. and so we're we're for the entrepreneur that's starting out and they want to build with the exit in mind is there where does that model really really fit and where does it say oh you are a unicorn you should you should just build it and go the ipo route is there a is there a defining moment um,
1: i think steve jobs did you know he probably didn't do it consciously build the business to sell but apple is definitely sellable <laughs> <laughs> i mean apple's got the six p's and then some you know i just heard something today that Apple jumped up to being worth over a trillion, trillions of dollars. I forgot the number amount, uh, but it's the highest value they've ever gotten. And, right. you know, Apple is obviously built to sell, because if you look at the six P's, they got the people, they got the product. Yep. You know, they got stuff that's unparalleled in the industry. Obviously, they have processes. Obviously, they have a lot of proprietary, you know, and proprietary is what drives value. You know, And they have clients pretty much worldwide. Everybody knows what Apple is, no matter what language you speak or how much money you have. And um, then they obviously have profit. So they did build Apple to sell, maybe not even knowing he was building it to sell.
0: They just naturally did it. So you might not have begun with the end in mind. I'm just going to build great things and build a great company.
1: Because he was an innovator. He was a creator. Right. You know, and and that's what it it takes in business to be successful is to innovate. And that's why so many businesses are going out of business. The the landscape has actually changed. It used to be that 98% of all startups will go out of business within the first one to five years. When i wrote exit rich, I learned that the landscape has changed dramatically. Now it's not, startups are not a great risk anymore. Only 30% of startups will go out of business, but businesses have been in business over 10 years or longer. Out of 27.6 million companies, 70% of them are going out of business because they stop innovating, they stop yeah. marketing. They stop doing AIM, which is always innovate and market. You stop innovating and marketing, you're dead.
0: Right. And that and that I think the entrepreneurs out there should, should listen to that, is uh, with the innovation that you have at your disposal, you can find a, a, a waning industry or a company that's not doing well and just add your capabilities and again just like you said you know begin with the end in mind you know what's the exit for this turnaround you could you could be a tech add tech to a failing business a failing industry and turn it around and have an exit strategy yeah
1: absolutely cuz a lot of these failing businesses lack tech right they don't have the tech
0: yeah i i I think I shared with you, or I I use a common analogy. I, I remind people today, it's like going to the gym and you step on the treadmill and somebody else reaches over and turns the treadmill on for you and you have to run as fast as they turn the treadmill on. Well, that's exactly what the tech industry is doing today. I don't get to choose how fast Apple updates its software or how fast Microsoft does things or how fast machine learning and AI and alexa this and siri that it's crazy so you have to move at lightning speed and i think that's uh that's really important but it comes back to what you said those building a business is as fast as you move have those six p's to build them and be flexible so with that said is there any in your experience of those six areas do startups or tech companies suffer or have more difficulty with one area or another? Or is is what, Where should they spend their time focusing on?
1: Um, I think a lot of tech companies that I've worked with in the past don't really build the people. You know, they're trying to build business, but they don't have people. Does that make sense?
0: Uh, you're... you're- singing to the choir here. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but I'd like yeah. to hear what you have so to they're say trying first.
1: To, so, they're, you know, I always say you can't build, you don't build a business. You build people and people build the business.
0: Absolutely. You build people
1: and people build the business. So a lot of tech companies, a lot of e-commerce businesses don't have people. You know, it's them. We're selling an education um, company, an online education company right now. It's got a lot of tech involved, and you know they've got a couple million dollars in EBITDA. They have husband-wife, two independent contractors. That's it, and the business is all centered around the husband. Well, that's very difficult to sell because number one, he's the personality, <laughs> <laughs> and number two, there is no infrastructure of people. So that's, that's where really you need to start. And that's why I always put people first is because again, you don't build a business, you build people. And so many tech startups and so many e-commerce businesses, they just want to focus on the idea, focus on the idea, focus on the tech, get it out and not really focus on building a team. And the problem is when buyers go to buy a business, the first thing they're going to evaluate is your people.
0: I, and I always say yeah. we
1: need the right people in the right seat and we need to ask the who question. You know who, opens, who handles customer service, who handles tech issues, who yeah. handles quality control, who handles legal accounting, et cetera. The list goes on and on. The, the clue is that you should never be next to who. That's another reason why businesses are not sellable is because if you, Philip, have a tech business and it's you and a Absolutely. couple of independent contractors, the time I take you out of the equation and you have the relationships with clients, there is no more business. And businesses being a thousand percent dependent upon the owner is the number one reason that businesses don't sell. Because again, owners have built themselves a qualified job instead of a business. So I know everybody likes to, you know, have independent contractors, keep the labor costs down, keep people working at home. But the problem with that is you got to build the business to run without you. And you can't yeah. do that with just a bunch of independent contractors.
0: I, I uh, totally agree with you as a, Somebody also calls myself an armchair sociologist and having looked at people and and systems, that's a conversation for another day. But I remind startup founders that the number one thing they have that's free is their ability to talk and communicate with others and build relationships. And whether that's building partnerships Building employee systems, building relationships with their customers—it all comes down to building those relationships and creating that community of belonging. You know, people want to belong and buy your product because they like what you do. You got a social mission. You got a—you cool technology, cool people. You've got a great culture. It's all the people. We go—we go to movies for stories about people. We don't go to movies simply. To get the popcorn, you know that it's part of the experience. You know we want. We don't the go to
1: movies to see a product. We go to movies for the stories about the people.
0: Exactly, it's and, relationship
1: capital. Yeah,
0: absolutely agree with you, and it. it I, I find it's the one thing that's most uh, underappreciated mm-hmm. because the, in the old days, like Henry Ford, if you were going to build a car, you had to have a gazillion people to do so. Today. Can you can build the same car with some robots. Yeah. (laughs) But look at Tesla and the robots they're using. Those robots won't work without all the people he has to make them work.
1: (laughs) I remember attending a conference one time with Tony Robbins, and you know, he's like, I forget the guy's name, but he's a brilliant, brilliant man. He said, look, all these everybody's worried about labor costs, and everybody's worried about this and this and minimum wage increasing. And he says, computers are going to come and replace everybody's job. And I'm like, well, who's going to run the computers? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so, I mean, yeah. So, you got to have people. You, you can't build an empire without your team. And that's one of the biggest issues with tech companies.
0: Perfect. So, what I, what I heard today is for startups, begin with the iron, figure out what your exit is, work on the six Ps. You want to run back six Ps by us again?
1: Sure, I'd love to. So do you want me to give you some detail on each one or just say what they are? Um, I can do high
0: level. uh, High level, and we'll drill down into the, the, there's one that I want to drill down into.
1: So we talked about people, which is, you know, everybody says, why do you put people first? I'm like, because you're not going to get anything done without people. (laughs) So people goes first. Number two is product. Product is your industry, your service, your product that you invented. You know, your are tech company. You got to ask yourself, is your product, your industry your service on the way up? Do you have an Amazon? And if you do have an Amazon, Philip, this is when you sell. So many business owners make the mistake of selling during a catastrophe or selling when a business is turning downward. No, you sell when you're in your prime. If you have a blockbuster and you're about to go out of business, that's not the best time to sell. Okay? <laughs> so the next one is processes. You gotta have people in process. You gotta have the right product, right service, right industry. Otherwise, you won't serve, stay in business. You know, you got, it's got it's got to appeal to your ideal uh, target client. And then, if you don't have the right people, and if you don't have the right processes in place, you're not going to, going to be able to stay in business. And processes are huge because it's what can run your company. Instead of managing people, you want to get to where. You're managing processes. You're training your people how to follow the processes. So that way you're not making people wrong when they don't do what you ask them to do because you just simply point them to the processes and they can figure out themselves that they're wrong. I learned a long time ago, if you make people wrong, they want to kill you.
0: Oh, yes. Make them right.
1: If you make them right, they'll kill for you. So processes are huge, but a lot of people mess up on processes because they design the processes around the owner's agenda, like doctor's offices. When are they open? Monday through Friday, nine to five. When are we working? <laughs> you know? So you got to go back and, and I, my husband and I own medical clinics. We have evening hours, we have Saturday hours. You got to go back like McDonald's did back in the 50s and ask yourself, what are the three things we want our clients to experience? And McDonald's says, we want our clients to experience. And this was the original founders of McDonald's. We want them to experience great tasting food that's hot, fast. 30 seconds or less. And they designed everything around the customer's experience. It's why you can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the same experience. They never said it's going to be great customer service. Sure. <laughs> they never said the food's going to be good for you. So you really got to drill down and figure out what are the three things you want your clients to experience. And you got to have those policy and procedure manuals, this SOP checklist, non-competes, et cetera. And then the 4P, which is really the highest value driver because 4P can, the 4P can raise your multiple, you know, in, in most companies just on a quick crash course on evaluations on other industries, it's typically a multiple of EBITDA. So if your EBITDA is under a million dollars, it's typically anywhere from one to two and a half, three times, maybe three and a half if you've got some pri- proprietary assets. If, you're multi- if, if your multiple is over a million, then guess what? Your multiples start at five and go all the way up. Proprietary assets can take you from a five to six to an eight to a ten in the tech start in the tech company in the tech world. It can take you to from a five to ten of revenue, huge numbers. It's
0: I absolutely agree with that. It's uh, that's where the we hear all this talk about artificial intelligence. Yep, it's the data you get to use those capabilities that has a lot of value. uh, If you have tons of data. Uh, there was a period of my, where I had a startup and absolutely we had this proprietary data. We had a 10 times multiple because the data was so hard to get and collect in one place. It had tremendous value. Yeah. And so I totally agree with you. And any tech founders listening, if you have that, it does the proprietary doesn't just mean intellectual property and a patent or a trademark. It can mean. Getting something and collecting it that's really, really hard to get.
1: Yeah. So it is trademarks, it is patents, it's contracts, contracts yeah. with uh, vendors, manufacturers, any type of exclusive contracts. It's also contracts with your clients. The big issue with contracts. So if a tech company has reoccurring revenue with a bunch of clients and they have contracts, that raises the multiple substantially. The problem is, is that 98% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. So Ooh. if those contracts are not transferable, we're working with a tech company right now that's got about 2,000 clients. And it's going to be an asset sale, not a stock sale. So guess what? As those contracts yep. are not transferable, which they're not, he's going to have to go <laughs> to each one of those clients and ask for a consent to transfer. Well, you don't want to go to your clients because what if the deal falls apart? Now your clients know you're selling your company. Yep. So you got to have that. Trans- if you don't listen to anything else, I say, please listen to making sure you have that transferability clause in your contracts. The other thing that you were just talking about is databases. You know, Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. Talk about a unicorn. WhatsApp was hemorrhaging. They weren't making any money whatsoever, but they had a synergy that Facebook knew they could ROI. And monetize, and that was a billion users. So they paid nineteen billion for a billion users for a company making no money. So you could really, literally, make no money. But if you had the database, if you, I'm working with another yep. client. Oh, yeah, it's got list upon list upon list upon list, and he wasn't doing anything with us. I, I said, "Gosh, capture that, put that into a database because that's going to raise your value because they have so much proprietary information." On these consumers, that a buyer will pay so much more for that company.
0: Yeah, and this absolutely. is actually a
1: transportation business that, that we're getting ready to sell. Yeah. Um, so, proprietary celebrity endorsements. We have a client. Uh, this one I hadn't
0: thought store. about that one. It's a great one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, celebrity endorsements are huge, and radio personalities. Nobody thinks about radio personalities, but guess what? A radio personality can only endorse, you know, one science company or one skincare company or one tech company, because they lose credibility. So if you have two techs that that are in competition with each other, they can only represent that one. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yes. That on radio and TV is prime real estate because you, you can't get into those spots. They're done. (laughs) You got to wait till they cancel the contract or die. So all of these things, one thing I do want to tell your listeners, is keep your proprietary assets in a separate corporation. Never commingle these assets because if you get sued in your corporation and all of your assets are there, you could be at risk for losing your assets, your proprietary assets. So make sure you keep those in a separate corporation.
0: That's a, that's very, very good advice. Thank you.
1: So I think we patron- got through.
0: patrons. Yeah. yes, we got through four. I was going to that.
1: <laughs> this is quick. I mean, this is your, this is your database. And so here's where people really mess up in, in, in a patron base. You want to make sure you're not following the 80, 20 rule where right? 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. The problem with that, like we're selling a business for $55 million right now, they have 70% of their revenue tied up in one client. What if they lose that one client? Most buyers don't want to see more than a 30 to 40% concentration. So you want to make sure you have customer diversification. And then the other big thing that you have to think about too is it's not just about customers. It's about vendors and where you're selling at. You know, there's a lot of e-commerce businesses where 98% of their revenues are from Amazon. And I've seen customers literally, I have seen my clients literally go out of business because Amazon stopped doing business with that, with that client
0: yep. yeah. and they're
1: out of business because they can't, fun- they can't survive on 2%. Yes. So you got to diversify, you know, where you're selling your products. You can't just sell on Amazon. You got to sell on different vehicle, different um, platforms. And yep,
0: Yeah. No, I see that uh, where somebody builds a new tech for pick, pick one of the thing, you know, for Facebook or Google for Microsoft's LinkedIn, you know, they pick something for one system and then that company changes their algorithm or changes their policy. And your company is toast. You're dead. You're done. Right. So you're connecting to your customers and, and being able to reach them is your patrons absolutely critical. Couldn't agree more.
1: Yep. And then, you know, we're talking about startup tax, but if you've been in business for 10, 15 years, your customers are probably aging out. <laughs> so you always got to innovate and replace those, those clients. But you got to remember the way that the older your customers have been doing business with you for 10, 15, 20 years are not going to do business the way the new generations do business. So you got to change your whole messaging. Yeah. All right. So the last P is profits. I mean, we're all in business to make money. And the reason I put profits last is because lack of profits is never the problem. If you're not making money, that's not your problem. <laughs> lack of profits is a system of not having the right people in place, not, being in the right, not having the right product or being in the right industry, not having your processes designed with the customer experience in mind, and not having your processes buttoned up not protecting a proprietary asset. Look, if you got a, if you got a company you're starting, you need to get a federal trademark, a federal trademark on your podcast, a new company on this on that, because I've seen businesses be in business 5, 10, 15, 20 years all of a sudden receive a letter in the mail. that they have to stop using that company name. And that costs them a tremendous amount of money to fight. So you want to make sure that you're running on all five Ps. If you have customer concentration and you lose a big customer, you're going to lose money. And um, so lack of profits is always a symptom of not operating on one of the five P's. Also embezzlement. I think it's two out of five companies will be embezzled every single year because they don't have you know, those checks and balances in place to make sure that who they put in position It's not stealing from them, you know, like I always say, trust, but verify, inspect what you expect.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and that is a problem. Uh, It can be a problem when startups in that they're they're limited on the numbers of peoples and the checks and balances um, get pushed to the side, but it does, it does and can take down a business. And, and whenever you listen to the, startup lawyers, they all have horror stories. So agree.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <Absolutely.
0: they do>. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we won't go down that rabbit hole. But <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, the, the, the time has just flown by um, lots of great advice from a, from a coach that helps existing businesses, but it really applies even to the startup businesses of focus on building that business, building those relationships and, and, all the six Ps. So how does, how does the audience get in touch with you, Michelle?
1: Sure. So number one, I can go to my website, which is silertucker.com. That's S-E-I-L-E-R yeah. Tucker.com, which I'm sure you have. Yeah,
0: we'll that. have it in the show notes, of course. Absolutely.
1: And then I encourage everyone, startup, existing business owner, entrepreneur, anybody who's thinking about you know getting in a business to, to go get their copy of Exit Rich. You can go to Amazon and, and buy your copy. If you're outside the United States, I encourage you to go to Amazon because the shipping cost is ridiculous. Inside the United States, you can go to Amazon, you can go to your favorite bookstore. We're in Barnes Noble, we're in all the books, you know, all the big bookstores. And you can also go to exitrichbook.com, which is where I really encourage you to go because that's where we have extra value. So exitrichbook.com for $24.79 plus shipping cost, We'll email you the digital download. We'll ship the hardcover to your doorstep, We'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club. And there we have video content where I'm really, you know, training, teaching techniques and strategies that I've been teaching for the last 20 years in the trenches to my clients. Plus we have documents to run your business, documents to sell your business. So sample org charts, sample policy and procedure manuals, non-competes. To sell your business, we have sample LOIs, letter of intents, sample uh, purchase agreements, due diligence checklist, closing docs, all the documents to operate and sell your business are there for your immediate download. And they were all created by an attorney. And I will tell you if you went to create all of this by an attorney, we we're just talking about attorneys and what they charged <laughs> earlier, it would cost you over $50,000 because I am convinced that an attorneys charge by the word. The spoken word (laughs) and the written word. (laughs) So all of those Uh, documents are there for your download.
0: Wonderful. That's that's exitrichbook.com. Exitrich.com, book.com. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. And that's a wonderful resource. All those templates will be fantastic. Again, I can't believe the time's flown by so quickly. It's been an easy conversation. And uh, we'll, um, for all the listeners- You know, if you enjoyed the show, definitely, I know you enjoyed the show. Leave a five star review, share it with another founder like yourself so we too can share, shorten their journey. I'm Philip Topham, the Savvy Founder, wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your personal and business lives. Take care. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.